With all of that said, though, uh, and you have a Bible, uh, why don't you open with me to Acts chapter 4. Maybe fire on your, uh, your phone or a tablet or maybe open up a cop- paper copy of the Bible, but to open up with me to uh, Acts chapter 4. Now, before getting there, I just want to uh, read a passage of scripture that's pretty familiar for most of you. This is kind of like the passage uh, for what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit does. So if you know the story in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on some folk waiting for God in the upper room. And one of the things it does is it really draws the community in to a beautiful rhythm of God's work among them. It actually says this, if you've been around the church for a while, you probably know this pretty well. And it goes like this, Acts 2.42, again, we'll get to Acts 4 in just a second. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in the homes, their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So you know this beautiful, if you've been around, you know this beautiful picture of God at work among his people, eating together in the temple courts. And one of the things it says is that they're actually devoted to prayer. And if you've been around Praxis at all, you know that uh, I've shared on this a little bit. Probably the better translation from Greek, which the New Testament was written in in its original form, from Greek to English, is not that they were devoted to prayer, but that they were devoted to the prayers. And you may be thinking, why does this even matter? Are you trying to sound smart? Well, maybe a little bit. No, I'm just joking, not at all. But I think it matters because one of the pictures you get is when it's translated the prayers, You see that this early community of people and all that they were devoted to, giving their lives to each other, breaking bread, the Lord's Supper, everything, they were also devoted to the prayers. Kind of a picture for us that this community was probably devoted to reading scripted prayers together, that prayer was a foundation in this community and actually like scripted prayer would be read out in these communities, that they had these common prayers that they would read out together. And if you know anything, we've been kind of captured over the last number of years at Praxis around liturgy. We actually believe that speaking out together and we read the Psalms together and do many of these things, we'll read the Psalms together before the end of our gathering, that there's something powerful about praying together, but opening our mouths and praying something that's common. Now, the story goes, it continues, Acts 3, a guy named Peter and, guys named Peter and John go to the temple courts. All of this stuff is new, right, in the church. You've got to remember, this is brand new to them. They go to the temple courts. They see this guy who's a beggar and he's lame. And the text actually says that he's been there since birth. And they pray for him and the power of God works through them and he's healed. And so this is like a crazy event that's happening right before their eyes. And it kind of creates this disorienting moment for the religious leaders. They don't know what's going on. Peter gets up and he prays to the crowd or he preaches to the crowd and speaks to the crowd about this king whose name is Jesus, who's come to not only redeem Israel, but the entire world. 
And uh, the religious leaders don't know what to do with it. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out what's happening. Peter and John are brought before the religious leaders. And finally, they're let go. And it's interesting what happens after this episode. Peter and John, actually, they go back to their brothers and sisters. This new church that's birthed, they go back and they begin to meet with their brothers and sisters. And this is what it actually shows. This is actually what, um, what happens. Now, before I read this little text here, it is interesting that a lot of people want, a lot of theologians around the book of Acts want to kind of argue about whether or not the book of Acts should be, theo- should be really theological. A lot of people would argue it's narrative, it's just simply telling the story of the early church, and I think that's true. But some would argue, don't take everything that's happened with the early church and try and make it on the church today. And I think there's a balance there, actually. I think there is a little bit of a a balance in how we do this. I do think the church in the first century had all sorts of different challenges and different things that we don't have, one being severe persecution in their moment in time. So I don't think we have to take the early church as everything they did, we've got to do. Nor do I think we need to glamorize the early church. And I think this is a tendency that sometimes this is what people want to do. They want to glamorize how the early church lived. They read Acts 2 and they're like, wow, look at this church. But I just want to encourage you, the early church also had its moments and times. All you got to do is read First and Second Corinthians, read some of the letters, and you realize like, all sorts of stuff going on, leadership fractions, a dude sleeping with his stepmom, all sorts of crazy stuff is going on. And so it's easy to gl- kind of glamorize the early church. Um, I think I'm in the middle. I think we look, and I want to look at a passage here quick that I think is important for us and could be a model for us as a community here a couple of thousand years later. So Peter and John, they get back to their brothers and sisters and it says that they actually begin to pray with their brothers and sisters. It says this, if you have your Bible, Acts 4, 23. It says this, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, to the church, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, listen to what they did. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And then we get a, a snapshot of this prayer. They say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they say, why do the mountains rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. And then it goes on, verse 27. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against the holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Then it says this, they continue to pray. Now, Lord, consider their hearts and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And again, uh, as we wrestle through the church in Acts and you get these little glimpses of the church, I think there are some things for us in our moment. Now, one of the things I think you continually see in Acts is you find that the church in Acts is continually praying together. They're continually praying together. This miracle happens. 
there before the Sanhedrin and the first reaction from Peter and John is to actually go back to their brothers and sisters. That prayer together is actually really this foundation of how the community lives this out. And again, I think there's kind of like a model here for how we could pray together. It's interesting, I know on on a cursory read, I just read that story really quickly, but as I've been engaging this particular prayer in Acts 4 over the last number of days, there's actually a few things that they do that I think are important for the church to consider when we pray together. Uh, Just three things actually that really stand out to me in how they do this. One is they actually use the Psalms. Now, you may not pick this up because I know for us, we're not Hebrew people and we may not have the Psalms in us as much as the Hebrew community did back in the day. But it's interesting to me that this community, when they pray, we get a picture of what they prayed. It starts with the Psalms. If you don't know, the Psalms are the ancient songbook of uh, the Bible, and it's uh, this beautiful collection of songs and, and poetry. And they say, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And so what they're doing here, this is not in a vacuum. This is not in its own, on its own. They're actually quoting here Psalm 2. And I just want us to remind, I just want to remind us, I kind of want to remind myself a little, that we actually have a prayer book that can lead us. So many of us struggle, uh, the common theme, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that I find with people in our day of distraction and Netflix and your phone 24 hours a day, some of us sleep beside our phones, it's just on all the time, is the continual distraction And a lot of people struggle praying in and amongst that distraction, but it's interesting that even the church together collectively used the Psalms regularly. This wasn't in a vacuum. They started with what was written for them. And it's kind of not rocket science. We actually have prayers that are written for us. And the Psalter, the book of Psalms, is actually something that we can use. Obviously, we do this as a community. Maybe a few years ago, three or four years ago, we shifted as a community. And I said every single, we said every single gathering, we're going to read out the Psalms together. Because for many of us in the busyness of our week and our life and everything that's going on, the Sunday gathering should be this time where we open our mouths together and we pray together and pray something that for hundreds and thousands of years, the people of God have prayed. So they started with the Psalms. I don't think that's by accident. I don't think what Luke recorded here in Acts, that's by accident. I think that's actually something we should pay attention to, that we have the Psalter. And we should use it. And then it goes on and that you see that they actually move from the Psalms and quoting Psalm 2, by the way. I don't know if you picked that up. Maybe you did. This was Psalm 2 that they quoted. The nations rage, the people plot in vain. That was Psalm 2. Then it moves and the people actually pray the story of Jesus. Listen to what they pray. It kind of can sound odd, but this is what they pray. Indeed, they pray, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. That's kind of odd, maybe for you. I did, for me, I've just been thinking through this. To pray back to God the story of Jesus But this is actually something that the church did. They did it here. And there's other points throughout the scriptures where prayer, communal prayer, is actually shaped by telling the story of Jesus. And they're not 
praying this because God somehow forgot what happened. It wasn't a moment where like, you know what, God, maybe God in heaven forgot what happened. So we need to tell, we kind of retell this story of Jesus coming and Pontius Pilate and all that happened. Not at all. Obviously, we know God hasn't forgotten the Jesus story. He's completely embedded in it and he wants us to be immersed in it. But what happens when we pray the story of God is that it's not for God. It's actually for us. We begin to proclaim with our mouths the good news of Jesus in our prayers. It's a continual reminder for us when we pray the story of Jesus, what Jesus has done. So they move from the Psalms to praying the story of Jesus. And I think one of the things that we need to do is our prayers need to be shaped as Jesus-centered prayers, Jesus-centered prayers as a community. Uh, I think we should cultivate this in our own personal lives, but I think when we're together, one of the things we should be doing is we should be retelling the story of God over and over again. A reminder for us, just remember, that the gospel sometimes we think is for people out there. We think the gospel, this good news of Jesus as King, is for people out who don't know Jesus, you know, those people kind of on the outside of the church. And it's actually completely the opposite in the New Testament. The church is continually speaking and continually praying the story of Jesus to remind ourselves about who Jesus is. And I just think we need to take note of this. So they move from the Psalms, they use the Psalter, the prayer book of Israel, they tell the story of Jesus. And then if you notice here, they pray for boldness. They pray for boldness. They pray for God's power. And ultimately, this community in this moment, this is all they had. All they had was God's power. Up against it, Rome, under the boot of Rome, and this whole new thing called the way of Jesus, Christianity, whatever you want to call it, is brand new. It's like this little sect of Judaism that people are trying to figure out in their minds. The culture's trying to figure out. Obviously, Rome is the religion of the day. Then you have the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, all that's going on. And they're trying to sort out who this Jesus risen Messiah is, if this is even a thing. And all the church could do is pray for power. This is what they did. Now, I'm all for praying and interceding for things, but you know, I think sometimes we can get caught maybe on the little things. And I think God cares about the little things and forget here that God wants to give us power. And the church, actually, when you read it in Acts, when you read when they pray together, they're continually praying for boldness in their moment. And I think we're in a moment where cute Instagram uh, posts and really cool church merch, which none of that is bad, right? None None of that is bad in and of itself. But really cute Instagram posts and cool church merch is not going to cut it. I, I think about the church post-COVID. Um, we, need, we need the power of God. We need the power of God. And when the church gathered together, this is what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness. And so when we think about prayer, just be reminded of how these early Christians practiced. In their moment, different moment, different time. They used the Psalter, they used the book of Psalms, they prayed the story of Jesus, and they prayed for boldness. I also think that this idea of prayer and what it stems in our lives, what it, what it leads us to, leads us to some really deep things in our own lives as we live this out. And I, I think that there's two words that are often used by the church, and I use these words a lot as well. But there's two words we often use in our lingo as the church But I've been thinking about these words and they cannot be disconnected from prayer. Prayer should be the lifeblood, the engine of who we are and what the church does. The first word is community. 
right? You know, we talk a lot about community. I talk about praxis as a community over and over. But I want to remind us that really the church is not a community unless it's praying together. I use this word a lot, but what you notice about the church throughout the scriptures is that what made them a community was obviously their gatherings in the picture in Acts 2 of all that's going on. But deep down at the center of who they are, what made the church a community is they prayed together. And I'm thankful for all the stuff the church does, all the things we put our hands to. I think youth starts up back this week. We have great youth uh, ministry uh, kind of beginning to flourish and kids stuff. We have a baseball team. I think the baseball team actually this summer went undefeated. Like they were crushing people by like 10, 12 runs. Well done guys, if that was you and you were part of that. Amazing. All these things that we have as a community But when we talk about community, it really is at the center of it is prayer. Christian community is not a community without praying together. And sometimes we use this word community and forget that at the center of it is praying together. The other word is justice. And we all know right now that there's a lot of talk in our moment about justice. Actually, the next two weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Jesus and justice and look at what biblical justice and righteousness is. It's going to be, I think, a great time as we kind of unpack this. In two weeks' time, we're going to join in on Freedom Sunday with International Justice Mission and, again, talk in more detail about their work, but as well what actually biblical justice is, and we'll talk about that. But what I've noticed in our moment, especially amongst younger Christians, is we're talking a lot about justice But there is very little talk right now in the church about the role of prayer in seeking justice. And let me just let you in on a little secret. Right living and righteousness on its own will not get us to our desired goal. And what I mean by that is right living is beautiful and acting and living for others and pouring our lives out is so, so important. But I kind of find right now we're in a moment where a lot of us want justice, you know, this buzzword justice, we want justice, but it's very much disconnected from prayer. It's disconnected from the king bringing his kingdom. I think a lot of us want the utopia of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, but at the same time, a lot of times we want the kingdom without the king. And so our moment is shaped right now around discussion and protest and activism and all that good stuff. And that stuff shouldn't stop. But I think what kind of sets the church apart is we work for those things. We work for right living. We work for a just society. We work for equity and equality for all, absolutely. But we also aren't convinced that we can just do it on our own. And I feel like uh, I'm on social media a lot. I just see even the talk amongst young Christians about how we're going to change the world. And ultimately, a lot of it is disconnected from King Jesus. And this is what prayer does. You know, just as much as we discuss and don't stop discussing, we loved, I think discussion is a huge part of discipleship and protest and activism, just as much as we do those things, the thing that's different about us in our view of justice and God setting the world to right is that we join in in prayer, that we actually believe we can't just through our right living do it on our own, that there's a king that wants to bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven and how important this is in the actual story. And so community and justice are things that cannot be disconnected from prayer, but often are. So with all that said, hope you're hanging with me. Hope you're doing great wherever you are. Here's here's our fall practice. 
Um, I want to tee us up because as we look in light of prayer and the church praying together, our fall practice for the next number of months is simply going to be together prayer. Maybe you've grown up and you've heard it called corporate prayer. I don't like the word corporate prayer as much because it sounds kind of corporate business-like. Um, we're calling it together prayer. And the goal is, is that over the next couple of months, we're just going to create some avenues and opportunities for our church community to pray together. We can do all these things. We can act, look for justice, look for community, look for ways to reach people. That's all amazing. But one of the things we need, I, I've just been sensing, we need to grow in as a community over the next little while is praying together. So what we're going to do over the next four Wednesday evenings, we're going to invite our church community to join together in prayer. One of the things that's happened through COVID is we've realized there's some really great opportunities with technology to connect together. Now, obviously, this isn't ideal for a Sunday gathering, but we've learned that technology is beautiful for things like courses and for prayer gatherings. And so on Zoom over the next four weeks, on Wednesday evening, we're going to meet from 9 to 940 and we're just going to pray together as a community. We're going to join in, we're going to take time together, and we're going to pray. Now, listen to me very clearly, okay? I am on a mission right now to make praying together as a community and prayer, communal prayer, together prayer. I am on a mission to make prayer together not weird. Can I just get an amen somewhere? I, this is like my life's goal for the next number of, of months. Um, we have online stuff that benefits us. Oh, I hear that. I hear an amen. Come on, somebody. I, I get it. Some of you have grown up in environments where uh, the prayer gathering or the prayer meeting was just odd and weird and long and you were put on the spot and you need therapy. And some of you are in therapy because of this. Maybe there's been abuses through that. And I know that prayer can oftentimes, people can use it as manipulation. So I get it. But it's my goal over the next number of weeks to lead our community to make prayer together a very natural, integral thing, a part of our community. And so these meetings will be like meetings. These gatherings together are going to be shorter, but they're going to be intentional and they're going to be directed. And I think they're going to be really fruitful. So I really encourage you. I get it. It can seem daunting, but I want to encourage our community as many of you as can to join us over the next four weeks as we just join in together and pray together. This is what we see in the early church. This is what we see them doing. And I'm thankful for all our church does, but this is one of the areas, together prayer, one of the things that we want to grow in. And so we encourage you to join in. And then what we'll do is we'll then move in probably to either a monthly or bi-monthly prayer gathering for the rest of the life of our church. We'll move into times where this is actually important. When things get back to more normal, we'll probably begin to meet in person again for prayer. But right now, I know some of you are Zoomed out. I totally get it. But I do think this is important. Now, uh, the one thing I've noticed in talking to people is a lot of people lament and they're just open and honest. This has been the, probably the biggest thing over the last 10 years, being in like a lead position as a pastor. So many people lament that they don't know how to pray. This is what I find. Many people lament, man, I don't, I don't know how to pray. Or for some of you, are like, man, it's like 30 seconds in and I'm thinking about the game and I get it. The, you know, the, the football starts at one o'clock today. It's going to be amazing. I love it. But there's many of us feel distracted and you just don't know how. And I just want to encourage you and I want to encourage myself actually as well is it's actually learned. You learn how to pray when you're around other people. 
You know, psychologists often talk about cognitive, cognitive behavior therapy. And really at the heart of this is that if you work to change, like if you have anxiety about something, they encourage you to change your behavior, to change the patterns of your behavior so that in return, your, your thoughts and your feelings would change. And I think, it's, I think this actually applies to prayer a little bit. I think some of us can be anxious around prayer and praying with other people. But I actually think when we change our behavior, and for maybe for some of us that's just joining in and praying with other people and learning step by step, that then our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions around prayer begin to change. I think it can actually be the same thing. And I think joining in and learning bit by bit how to do this with others will actually change how we feel. Because ultimately, I think praying together is actually a really good indicator of where the church is at. You know, we can go 8-0 in baseball, and that's fantastic, or 7-0 or whatever. But really the indicator of how deep and where we are as a church community together, um, really prayer is the indicator of this. So with all that said, we want it to be inviting. We want to invite you guys in. And for some of you that maybe feel like, man, I don't know how you're not going to be put on the spot. It will be very directive. But I know over the years for me, it's simply my prayer life has developed, been, been developed by listening to how others pray. You know, the, the, the age old thing is who would you rather play golf with? Tiger Woods to get better. Who would you rather play golf with? Tiger Woods or like, I don't know, your father-in-law who shoots 110. Obviously, you learn when you're around people who have been doing this for a while. And same with golf, and I think it's the same with prayer, that there's actually rhythms that can be put in place and we can learn some things. And so I want to invite you into this, and my goal deep down in me is to make the prayer gathering as intentional and life-giving as possible. So I'm pumped. I'm pumped about the next number of months, but I'm also really excited about the future of our church and this being central to what we are. And we'll take that model. We'll use the Psalms. We're gonna pray the story of Jesus continually. And then we'll pray for certain things in our moment that we need to lean into and see God move in. And I think this is a great indicator of where we are. The other side, as you know, is that every season we have a spiritual practice. So that's just been teed up together prayer. Uh, Basically up until Christmas will be our spiritual practice. But we also wanted to just bring you up to speed before we close about a fall practice that we're engaging in. So if you're new to the practice story, every single season we always have a teaching series, a spiritual practice, and then, a fall, and then an outreach. And this fall, we're really excited to partner with uh, ArcAid, ArcAid Mission in downtown London. And obviously through COVID, everything has been disoriented. There's so much need in our city right now. And what's happened is a number of organizations have closed their dining rooms for the meals that they've been providing. ArcAid actually had to... Um, close their dining room as well, but they actually still give out meals uh, at the door. And so they've been having teams come in and prepare these meals and then they give out at the door. They've given 12 out, they've given out 12,000 meals since the beginning of COVID. And part, it's rising because of other organizations that have been a little more cautious about having uh, food distribution. And so Arcade has done a great, great job. And so here's what we're gonna do. This fall, we're going to give uh, 50, sorry, this fall, we're going to give $500 just out of our budget to Arcade and the work that they do. So if you contribute to practice financially out of our regular budget, we're going to give 500 right away. I would love to see, and we're going to give options to give online. I would love to see 
above and beyond that, another $500 to $1,000 come in for Arcade just to say to them, hey, here's some resource that you can use. I think it would be amazing. So we want to give financially. Then what we're also going to do is we have two dates for our community where we're looking for people to go in and prepare meals. Again, the dining room is closed because of COVID right now, but we want to go in with a bunch of food and prepare it. And then Arcade and the folk there at Arcade will begin to give out these meals in the evenings. And so the dates for that are Saturday, October 17th and Sunday, November the 8th. This will be in Praxis Weekly. We'll bring you up to speed on all this, but there's a couple dates where we'd love for teams of 8, 10, 12 people to go in and just prepare so that uh, the work can continue on. Again, we, we want to, with everything that we are, see equity and equality. We want the ground to be leveled. This is what we believe the gospel does. And we want to pray together. It's not one or the other. It's both of these things working together. This is the power of the church. So our fall practice, together prayer. Join with us. Our fall outreach is joining in with the Arcade Mission downtown. And uh, we just hope you can jump on with that.